discussion is not necessarily the views of all involved. The goal is to start open and honest discussion in the Christian worldview. Like all things, weigh what you hear with what you know and join us in our pursuit for the truth. Enjoy the podcast. Is there a Chinese equivalent to ninjas? That's probably something I shouldn't ask. David and Saul, do you think it's going to work out for them? Well, I mean, I've been so optimistic. This <laughs> sounds really good. The listeners are getting, like, a lot of our personality this episode. <laughs> An uncomfortable amount. I'm sure we'll be asked to stop later on. Yeah, it's... <laughs> Alright, welcome to the Second Rate Saints Podcast. I'm one of your hosts here, Caleb. To my left is... I'm Joshua. And to my left is... I'm Joel. And to my left... It's me, Caleb again. We've gone full circle. Sadly, we are missing Stuart and Colton. Very sad. It's a very sad day. Oh. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to get over it. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, Joel. Yeah? Do we do things on the internet? Yeah, so we've got a couple of different places that you can find us online right now. We've got secondratesaints.com. If you'd like to uh, send us a, a chat message, you, we've got a chat feature in the website. We've also got blog posts, book reviews. Um, really, anything that we're going to be doing is going to be found on the secondratesaints.com page. Um, if you'd like to send us a longer form message, you can also email us at um, secondratesaints at gmail.com. And then we're on Twitter and Instagram as well, so... Yeah, check us out wherever podcasts are found. That's awesome. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Um, I'm going to pass it back to you, Joel, again, because yeah. you recently finished a book that I really liked, but I read it a while ago, and yeah. pro- it's probably foggier in my mind than it is in yours. What What do you read? Do you read? I do. Well, this <laughs> one was actually, again, an audiobook. I'm terrible for it, but uh, I do listen to quite a few audiobooks. This one was The Abolition of Man by C.S. Lewis. Um, I don't even know if it's the best way to consume that book would be to uh, listen to it because it's very dense. There's a lot going on. Um, But uh, so Abolition of Man. It's one of his most, I guess, obscure books. Josh, did you just get up and get a baseball cap just to match me? Is that what it is? No. That's uh, There's a dress code here. Oh, and Caleb's putting one on too. This is so weird. Usually... Anyways, they, now for our audio listeners, everyone has just put on baseball caps, <laughs> which makes this a, a sports podcast now, I think. Maybe. <laughs> Anyways, um, The Abolition of Man, one of his more obscure books. Um, it is a response to uh, education. Um, I think it's just the British education system. Isn't that what it is? Yeah. It it, like, starts- by and large. It, it, so what it started off as is a critique of a book that he mentions, but not by name, because in his writing of the book like he often does he kind of like changes a few things to widen the scope he did the same thing with mere christianity yeah right like where originally it was a radio interview and then he kind of reformatted it to be essays um yeah it also it also starts off of a critique in education and it just kind of spirals into like anyway culture's not doing well (laughs) (laughs) It, it becomes like a whole societal thing and one of my favorite lewis quotes actually come from uh, I, I knew it before reading the book, but um, comes from from C.S. Lewis's uh, Abolition of Man, and that is, um, what was it? We scoff at honor and then are shocked when there are traitors among us. Yes. Right, which is so good. It's the whole thing of like, we have no code of chivalry. We have no higher standard that we're holding people to. Um, but then when people go back on their word, when people are 
terrible people and we don't teach ethics anymore, we're surprised by that, mm -hmm. right? And it's like, no, there's a direct correlation between um, the education system we have our, our children in and the current state of society. Well, it's, it, it's, it's that nothing is sacred anymore. Yeah. Right? The sacred space has been demolished. Mm -hmm. I'm recently, I've, I've been audiobooking um, How Not to Be Secular. Okay. Um, which is a synthesis of of uh, Charles Taylor's work, mm. um, Secular Age, in preparation to read Secular Age. Mm. And mm -hmm. while I'm reading through that, I just get flashbacks of C.S. Lewis's Men Without Chess, which is an mm -hmm. essay in that, in uh, Abolition of Man. And it's, yeah, I just get flashbacks from C.S. Lewis's stuff where it's like, oh, C.S. Lewis talked about this and predicted this. Mm -hmm. Interesting. <laughs> I'm about three quarters through um, Carl Truman's... Uh, Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Hmm. Have we covered that on the podcast yet? No, because I don't think any of us have totally finished it. Totally finished it, yeah. But that's the the longer version of his Strange New World book. Anyways, it's a whole thing. But yeah, it falls into that category of like critique of culture right now. Um, of course, C.S. Lewis isn't doing it years and years ago. But uh, it's definitely, I think, worth the read. But it's such big, like such large topics that you really need some time to sit on it. But, yeah. Uh, have you read it, Josh? I read the first the the part just about the book. Oh, okay. Critiques. Yeah. It was it was too big brain for young Josh. <laughs> Fair enough. So it was too big brain for for me. Like <laughs> now, sometimes I try audiobooking stuff, mm -hmm. and then there's either two there's three reasons why I stop. Mm -hmm. One is like this is dumb. Two, <laughs> two is. This is such a good book. I need to read it in person. And three is, I don't understand a thing that's going on. I need to read this in person. Yeah. Well, it's like I had this, like, like the, the total collection of C.S. Lewis, like, book where it has, like, all mm -hmm. of his books that are not his fictions. And, uh, and like, halfway through The Abolition of Man, I was just like, I think I need to save this when my brain is bigger. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think I would point to The Great Divorce for some of the ideas of mm -hmm. abolition of man before I would talk about the hideous man. evil is the narrative version and the hideous evil being, or the hideous strength. I think it's published oh, under multiple. Yeah, yeah. I think it's published under a couple different titles if my memory's right, or I am completely butchering the name and it's not hmm. forgive me. But uh, the third part of his uh, space trilogy that is the narrative strength. version of a lot of what he's critiquing in. Abolition of Man. Okay. That yeah. hideous strength. That hideous strength. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of what else to, to bring up about the book. It's not a long book. Who would uh, you recommend it to? Hmm. The type of person, like, what would be the questions they're asking? Yeah. So, it to me, it airs almost on the, like, Christian existentialism side a little bit, um, bringing up some of those same ideas. Different answers, but same ideas. Um, I would probably recommend it to... Anyone who's gotten a little bit taken up with the um, the the culture wars, mm. <laughs> you know, um, because I think there's this idea that we just kind of jumped in feet first into the culture wars and it's just it started with us. Right. But like it it didn't. Right. Like C.S. Lewis saw some of the rumblings of what was already happening during his time. And and there are accounts of society having some of the tendencies we see today. Um a long time ago yeah. in Rome, for goodness sakes, right? Like there's, um, there's nothing new under the sun. And I think that reading the abolition of man and the critique of the education system, and then looking at the education system now, 
um, you, you get less and less surprised Fair enough. by things that are happening. But uh, and whether that's desensitization or you know the opening up of your mind, one or the other. Um, Waking but, up. Yeah. <laughs> Awake, not woke, or whatever yeah. the new one is called. Yeah. Man, there's so much going on. But yeah, that's kind of why I read it, and I Sweet. think that's kind of who it's for. Cool. Um, probably not who it's for. Like, probably not who we thought he was writing to, but definitely um, where it ended up. Still. Yeah. Well, I think we should transition into our topic. We're going to be continuing with Samuel. <laughs> really? Ooh. Yeah. You know, you'll probably notice that because, you know, you clicked on a podcast or video that says Samuel. Um, but we're doing chapter 23 and 24. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, Josh, could you give us a brief synopsis of where we're at previously on Samuel? Yes. So, previously, uh, David fled. We... we Two episodes ago, we talked about Jonathan uh, and David planning the runaway from Saul and figuring out if Saul was actually trying to kill David. Uh, chapter 21 and 22 talks about David fleeing, and he flees to Ahimelech, the priest at Nob, was it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and grabbing Goliath's sword and going on the run and... David flees to Gath, Goliath's hometown, goes crazy for a bit. King Akish is like, hey, why is there, there's so many crazy people in my kingdom. Why do, why do we have so many of them? <laughs> quite, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and then uh, David hides in the uh, cave of Adullam uh, and tries to get his family safe passage to Moab um, because potentially because of their family heritage in Moab via Ruth. Uh, but that's speculative. Um, and then you also have eventually Saul then goes to the priests of Moab and kills them all. And the, and the city that Nob. saves them. Yes. And no, Nob. not Moab. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Um, goes to Nob, kills all the priests that helped David and through this all, Doeg the Edomite was a spy slash servant of Saul that was spotting out where David was going. Mini, mini villain that pops up and then disappears. And then disappears. <laughs> um, and then, but one of the priests get away, and his name is Abiathar, son of uh, Ahimelech. And David's like, you're chill with me. It was like, you come, can come live with yeah. me in my and glorious he takes, cave. He takes the <laughs> ephod. Yes. Which Goliath's sword was hidden behind. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Um, and that leads us to chapter 23. Now, let's read it. Uh, all together now. All together. <laughs> uh, follow along with your Bibles at home. Uh, Play along at home, kids. Now they told David, behold, the Philistines are fighting against Kyla and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack those Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Kyla. But David's men said to him, behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Kyla against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered, arise, go down to Kyla, for I will give the Philistines into your hands. And David and his men went to Kyla and fought with the Philistines and brought them brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Kyla. Hmm. Good, good guy, David. 
um, do you do you think it's interesting that his that his dudes like his his mm-hmm. band of men, um, not only are they afraid in Judah, which is David's tribe, like that's his home region, right? That's out of anywhere in any of the tribes that David would be safe, it would be there. They're scared of their life even there. Just it just shows how how much on the run they actually are. Yeah. Well, it also like because like those uh, mercenaries that like whole group that's around that area are people that are on the run from those various small kingdoms. Yeah, and so they're probably not welcomed anywhere mm-hmm. in that whole section of the Western Mediterranean, Eastern Mediterranean. Ah. Uh. Okay. <laughs> I just mean like because like they're they're like as we find out later, they're all of them are hiding in caves where raiders yeah, hide. But I think I think that's making it bigger than than it has to be. I think it can be more regional than that. Yeah. But anyway. Um It should also be known that Kyla, the city, which is only six kilometers north of uh Hebron which six miles northwest of Hebron, which eventually becomes the capital first capital for David before he takes Jerusalem. Um, Kyla gets raided a lot. Mm-hmm. They're, they're kind of like the easy picked city because they're on a border. And so they get attacked a lot and that will make sense for later conflict. But for right now they're getting attacked and David says, Hey, let's go help these people out. And God says, yeah, it's also we it, do that. It's also in stark contrast to so you have David mm-hmm. wanting to be like, oh, there's a city attack that's out of my way, and I'm, you know, trying to hide for my life. I should go help these people. Mm-hmm. And then, like, just a little bit before Saul was like, burn the whole town. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. These people harbored people against me. Kill them, possibly all. by accident. Yes. Kill. Devote them, them all, all to destruction because that's. That's what yes. he does. Yes. And now that he's devoting things to his own purposes, he's fine destroying things. Yeah. 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 So the contrast with even in clutch, such close proximity text-wise is very interesting. Well, and yeah. you've also got uh, David, uh, Saul was terrified of the Philistines mm-hmm. constantly and would make horrible decisions and like try to do these other things to subvert out of fear. Whereas David immediately goes to God. Yeah. Should I, should I fight them or should I not? And his men are like, Hey, we don't, we're not comfortable with this. And it makes sense. None of them, like they're not from Israel. Like uh, the, I, I think it's too presumptuous to say that they are all mercenaries. I don't think, I'm not even sure if most of them would be foreign mercenaries. It's more local men that were not that are on Saul's bad side. Yes, that's what my thought is. There may be mercenaries there, and I think it's safe to say that there yeah. probably is. But that would be an inference where I think yeah. the more obvious conclusion would be: these are people that can that see no forward progress with under Saul's monarchy, or people who have made themselves enemies of Assuming Saul's. Assuming that these aren't the men that become his mighty men. Yeah. But if he's on the run, is yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah. 
because the men who are his mighty men are specifically labeled as not Israelites. Yeah, but I I just don't yeah. see the connection. Mm. I think it's a bit presumptuous, but that's me. Okay. Are we allowed to disagree on this? Yeah, I think we are. Okay. I disagree. No, <laughs> I disagree that you guys are allowed I don't to think disagree. there's something that, that can be drawn from this quite yet. But um, they're not as willing to listen to God. Mm-hmm. Or they are not... The, the fear of possible death is not shaken when God talks. Yeah, well, it's, it also shows how good of a leader uh, David is compared to that of Saul. Yeah. When his soldiers don't want to do the thing that, that he orders, he loses it. Oh, yeah. Right? And David's like, okay, do you want to talk to him again? Yeah, and David's like, okay, I'm, I'll go talk to God again. Yeah. If, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I'll we'll get double confirmation. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just more contrast. It's also just hilarious that, like, I know it's not this easy, but it, it almost seems like it's that easy to get God on call. Okay, hold on. We'll I get know. there when we I get know. to the ephod. I know. Yeah. But it's but like in this passage right now, that's why I'm saying it's it's too easy to say this. But it's like, hey God, should we go to battle? Yeah, you should go to battle. And then the people are like, Hey, I don't think we should go to battle. And, I, and David's like, I'll ask him again. Hey, should we go to battle? You should go to battle. You should go to battle. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that leads us to the next part. When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled David to Kilah, he had come down with the ephod in his hand. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Kilah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to go to war to go down to Kilah to besiege David and his men. David knew what Saul was plotting harm against him, that he was planning harm against him. And he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Kilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Kilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Kilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Kilah, and they went wherever they could. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Kilah, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in his hill country, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. Man, I don't know what that means. <laughs> that he saw him every day, but God did not give him into his hands. Sought. He he searched for him. No, I I know what yeah. sought means. I'm the, the the question. <laughs> I thought you I thought you said saw. But oh, he yeah. saw him every day. He's like, <laughs> yeah. I can't get him. <laughs> yeah, so but that weird. that's my question. Is like, how is God protecting him? Just making Saul look the wrong direction while he sneaks <laughs> away in like a weird slapstick humor kind of a way. It's just this whole story kind of smacks of that to me. Yeah, so the strongholds in the wilderness of Ziph. Yeah. Uh, although in a tribal territory of Judah, it is within a steep area, step, uh, area that would have been sparsely inhabited and a place in which fugitives could easily hide. 
The strongholds were small outposts that served as signaling stations and contact points for herdsmen and villagers in the area. Hmm. So there was a lot of places to hide in this, like, five mile to 13 mile around area. Hmm. Well, and I think it's, it's what probably helps this whole thing is us, we shouldn't think of the culture and the time and the society of what's going on right now as in like dark age or medieval. Mm -hmm. This is tribal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not easy for any government like Saul's or even David's Mm -hmm. to organize mass information to go around in such easy ways to to understand where are my enemies, even in my own areas. Towns don't like that's not how communication works. That's not how yeah. the tribes interact with one another either, right? Yeah. Like how is how is with so many people support supporting David, how is David not just you know, coronated? Like mm-hmm. why not? Well, because it seems like a lot of tribes still just straight up support Saul. Yeah. And because it's tribalistic. It's not well, medieval or mm-hmm. or dark age. And it's you, it's very difficult to run a search party through miles of hills mm-hmm. and mountains with caves systems in them. Um, and so, yeah, you could send your army up there, but like David's men, David's like, as the story starts off, David is an outdoorsman, like with the sheep. He's out in the hills. Yeah. So like, this is his territory. Yeah. He's on home turf. Saul's a farmer. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and he's been in the royal city for a lot longer than David has. So, and he's not, basically David's on home turf. Mm-hmm. I, I like the, the point where he says, let me, let him, or he seeks to destroy the city on my account. Yeah. Um, he's going to kill everybody because of me. He's going to kill everyone because of him. I I just there's something going on there with the devoting to destruction as well that he knows Saul is going to do it for himself, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it's also noted that the Kyla being a walled city, the point that Saul points out mm. there is that ah, finally I've got him cornered. Yeah, like he's not in open territory where he can go and hide. He's in the walls. Mm-hmm. I can siege this city. He won't be able to get out, yeah. and I'll get him if it means destroying the whole city. Mm-hmm. Um. And that I'm fine with that. <laughs> Basically, Saul is saying that yeah. this is he's an easy target. He's a fish in a bucket now. Yeah. But the Lord tells David ahead of time. And also the contrast there that people were pointing out is that Saul only went. Saul's not going to the Lord. Okay. For answers. Mm-hmm. He's not seeking out the help of the Lord. Should I? hunts David because he knows what he's doing is wrong. Mm-hmm. Whereas David is referring to the ephod, referring to God, constantly asking What is referring him, to the ephod? Okay, are we, are we going to get into it? Let's talk about it because I'm confused by it. So, to Josh's point, several chapters ago, mm-hmm. he made a comment how the ephod, um, <clears throat> it could be used just as a generic like idle term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or it could be used in reference to the ephod worn by the high priest. And with the Ark gone, um, that may be the most holy relic that they have. Yeah. In the ephod, as described by Exodus, 
Um, there's the Urum and the Thurum. Mm. Yeah. Forget how Thurum. to pronounce Thurum. Thurum. There's a mm at the end of that second word um, that are that can be used to find God's like will. I don't want to use the word divination, divination, but (laughs) it's kind of. So like uh, there's a description of its use in Numbers uh, 27, 21. And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, um, who shall inquire of him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. And so one of the, one of the things that's note David's questions in Mm -hmm. these, in these, in this chapter. Mm-hmm. They're all yes or no questions. Yeah, all of them. And so it's thought to be either a uh, some sort of a flat like coin device or some sort of mm-hmm. dice or something. Because you see other things in the ancient Near East that are like that that you can inquire of the gods with. Yeah, and that would be part of the ephod, um, as described mm-hmm. by Exodus. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's Saul does use the. Uh, Saul's the priest at the time of Saul when he goes to battle once as we read he consults the Urim and Thurim mm-hmm. Thurimim um, but that's once and it's out of fear whereas in this David is it's out of concern for other people um, kind of he's also be, he also begins showing his own worry pretty soon yeah so I think it's it's he's also like it's getting to him yeah but he's also like it's the comparison here is between Saul and David being one is consulting God for his every action in mm-hmm. this passage where Saul is going straight. I want to kill this man because it, he affects me. <laughs> doesn't Saul even kind of make the argument, not the argument. Doesn't he even say like, ah, God has given him into my hand. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. He, he theologizes the whole. Yeah. It, it's, it's, oh, it's weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but it should be known that like the difference between divination and prophecy is divination is seeking what will happen without God, whereas getting an answer from God, like prayer or prophecy mm-hmm. or well, by God's, definition of God authorizing that thing yeah. to be. Okay, divination controls will. That's that's the difference between divination and prophecy, is that divination seeks to control the will of the gods, whereas prophecy seeks to understand the will of God. I thought divination could also was there to discover so, the will of the gods. At this point, divination would have, in in all of its forms, would have sought to to please the gods, um, but also the results would be recorded and then expected to be reproduced, right? So when Josh says he's trying to divine outside of God's will, they're just trying to use human wisdom, basically a very I mean, rudimentary isn't science. That, isn't that just like Babylonian? Yeah, but it would have been a, a very similar thing to, to Canaanite stuff. But I think that they have, I thought that they also, like they, their div- divination was to seek the future like seek, seek the future. Like petition God to discover the future, or petition God to speak to them through things to 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 know the future. That's not been my understanding of it, but I might be. I could be wrong. I know you've read more on it. 
Yeah, but I'm I'm not sure exactly where we're coming from there. My point was is that he was afraid of saying that the Roman theorem was divination. And yes. I was saying specifically it's not because God outlaws divination. Whereas each of the each of the outlawed sorceries in has a parallel in which God does mm-hmm. that is technically different mm. because it's him oriented to the thing rather okay. than the people designating the God to do it. So like necromancy is mm-hmm. forcibly speaking to a dead man mm-hmm. or causing the God to resurrect the dead. Whereas resurrection and new life is the actual version of that. And it's initiated by God. Um, like okay. the, the parallels of God's rituals and actions in the Jewish life are similar to these things, but different because it's God. It's God downward rather than man up to God. Okay. I still struggle with that, that that's not divination then. Cause divina- by that definition, and you can't just say God doesn't allow divination, divination. So this isn't divin- divination. If it appears to be divination. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I think, I think it gets the, a little bit into like the piety stuff, but still. Yeah. And it also just gets into what's the definition then. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I think Josh is arguing for a, for a specific different, you guys are arguing from different definitions. That's all. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I would be more sympathetic towards Joel's cause I think it does fit in the definition, but yeah. Cause my, my point would be that this is, this is an avenue in which God said, you can ask me, you can ask guidance for how you should live, how you should rule and serve the people at these times using this avenue. This is how you inquire of me. Do you think if we hmm. found it, we could still use it? <laughs> I'm going to say no, because we can pray. So do you know what exactly they are? We don't. They're just pieces. On we them, don't. Eva. We don't know what they are. We don't know what they look like. We don't know how they're used. Not re- like not not physically. Because I can't think of a type of divination that would fall into that. It's, and I did a little bit of reading on like early Assyrian divination, but then even that might be too yeah. too late for this. Um, I would expect it to be more Egyptian in origin if it's coming out of Exodus. really yeah. Well, it's coming out of Exodus, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, if it's going to have its cultural ties, it's like polemic device stuff, mm-hmm. right? And it is an older device, whereas, yeah. yeah. Hmm. They haven't figured out that they can open up goats and read their veins. You can't. They probably know. <laughs> they probably know you can do that. I mean, that you could. I mean, you could. I mean, no, you shouldn't, but you can. <laughs> you yeah. can't do that. You, you can't do that, but you But it has been can. done. <laughs> Because, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we've done our excursus in divination, dude. I would love to have a talk about divination just as a whole. But yeah, we should we should do a we should do a whole discussion on biblical sorcery. Because yeah, because God uses weird amounts of divination, even when we get to like the medium that brings Samuel back for advice. Yeah, the Witch of Endor. Yeah, um, the little cute bear things. Yeah, it's a Ewok. That's the <laughs> Ewok a medium. Imagine what a large Ewok could do. Anyways. That was yeah. my joke. Yeah, I know. It's a terrible <laughs> well, no, joke. Here's the thing. The, um, not to jump too far ahead so we can get back to the story, <gasps> but there are cases where God uses the, like, for example, the star 
over Jesus' birth yeah. is a is not a Jewish thing. It's the other cultures have uh, celestial signs for when a king is born. Mm-hmm. And so God uses so the astrology. Astrid. Yeah, God uses Babylonian astrology to bring over three wise men to present that this king is the king of the earth. Yeah. Do you guys think people that mine the Bible or other thi- or other things, among other things, to discover when the end times, the return of Christ is, begins to blur into divination? Oh, I wonder. Oh, man. The can of worms you've just opened is unbelievable. <laughs> okay, guys. Are we getting into that or should we say that, that that's what we'll be talking about in the episode when we do divination? I think any claim to knowledge is... <laughs> <laughs> No, that's not progressive revelation. Stopped with canonization. Wait, wait, but not in a cessationist sense. Is is Pentecostal subjectivism through communal hermeneutics divination? (laughs) You just said a whole bunch of words. Here's the thing: (laughs) I think you're wrong. Mm. Can you repeat that sentence? Is Pentecostal subjective hermeneutic through subjectivity through communal? Hermeneutics. Yeah. Divination. I haven't thought about it, but yes. <laughs> Here's the, to be fair, a lot of other denominations have that problem. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, but also Any subjective form. Pentecostalism is going to be a very... Uh, that is such a, a niche thing. amount of people that just were like, oh, man, that's a brilliant critique. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's three of them in the whole world, and they're all here. <laughs> Shall we read the rest of chapter 23? Probably. We should get back to the I topic I guess, but I'm distracted now. <laughs> David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, do not fear for the hand of Saul. May f- my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh and Jonathan went home. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah seeing, saying, is not David hiding among us in the strongholds in Horesh? On the hill of Hakalah, which is south of Jeshimon. Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Go make yet more sure. Know and see the place where his foot is, and who has seen him there. For it is told to me that he is very cunning. See, therefore, and take note of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me for such information. Then I will go with you. And if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. And they rose and went to Ziphah ahead of Saul. So Jonathan's back. Yeah. For a second. Yeah. He was like, hey, it's going to be okay. Yeah. He leaves. (laughs) Yeah, so what was that? Sorry, I had a shiver. <laughs> so they meet up, they make a third covenant. It's not second clear. Second covenant. I, I don't know. I read a commentary on it, and his whole thing was like, Yeah, there's no we don't really know what's going on with that. Probably is just like a covenantal renewal. What you got? What? I have I have no theories. I'm just 
Why does he keep making covenants with the same guy over and over? Um, it seems more like a covenantal renewal. They're friends. Yeah. I guess so. We should make more covenants. I'm going to let my yeses be yeses and my noes be noes. I think, no, a be is, knows? I think a covenant is different than a promise. <laughs> What's that? I think a covenant is different than a promise. Okay. But a but a covenant is a promise. But not all promises are covenants. Man, I am derailing. Hard. Yeah, you're really yeah. having fun with this episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, what what were the reasons you said for making more and more covenants? No, he didn't. It's, it's just it's the just same a covenantal one? renewal. It's more just like. David's like, everything's not going well. And Jonathan's like, hey, find strength in God. Everything's going to be okay. You're going to become king, and I'm going to be at your right hand. It's going to be awesome. It's not. But it's not, yeah. It's like an encouraging an encouragement. He, It's more probably like a covenantal renewal, at least. And that's what, um, I forget the guy's name. So guy. by presenting Horesh and Hakala and Jeshimon, as like the places where David is mm-hmm. like the area mentioned before the wilderness of Ziph, where there's all the caves and stuff like that, those areas, he's specifically like narrowing down that David is hiding in an area. That's like maybe one or two miles, Oh, like one or two square with, miles, uh, 400, although now 600 men. Yeah. Cause yeah. it even, even his, in, his numbers begin increasing since last time. Yes. They were listed. And so basically saying like, David isn't moving much. Mm. Like, you're just bad at looking for him. He is hiding in Judah, though. Yes. Which is a big area, and it's his home turf. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, but basically, these guys, supporters of Saul, are like, hey, we know where he is. Mm-hmm. And he's like, hey, bless you. Yeah. You you took pity on me. Yeah. The yes. Lord bless you. Yeah. This is like the first time he's like called upon the name of the Lord rather than like with Saul, where he was like, may your God. Yeah. Probably thinks he's doing something. Or is he doing it for political reasons? I think political reasons. There's like even his going as far back as when he was supposed to um, commit the Amalekites to destruction. Mm -hmm. There's that whole he begs uh, Samuel to come back with him and this like keep up the, the, the persona. Yeah. Okay. Let's finish this. Now, David and his... <laughs> Sorry, that Finish was a bit it. aggressive. Uh, now, David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in the Arabah to the south of Jeshimon. And Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon, Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and come for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place is called the rock of escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of En Gedi. Or the rock holds, the rocks of division. So we have the disappearing stone. And now the rock of division. Wow. (laughs) Theology of disappearing rocks. (laughs) Can I do a biblical theology of rocks? What would some good ones be? Peter. Jesus. Okay. Cornerstone. Yeah. Fair enough. That is. These are are like rocks, though. 
<laughs> Disappearing rocks, escaping rocks. Yeah, I mean, Jesus you'd, is the you'd rock have the rock, rock that, you'd have the rock that that Moses hits and water comes out. Oh, I'm sorry, Jesus. Water I mean, rock. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, also Jesus. Yeah. Man, we're doing everything but talk about the text. <laughs> I'm just thinking about theology rocks. Okay, so some things to mention <laughs> is that Maon is near the Dead Sea, which is cool, which means David is not in, like, he's not hiding out in great places. <laughs> he's not doing it well. <laughs> well, I mean, there's not a, <laughs> you can't drink that. No, like, like. Do you think he's intentionally hiding in places that nobody goes because nobody goes there? Like, obviously, right? Yeah. He should also, be. No, but I mean, <laughs> That's like, how hiding's done. <laughs> what I mean is, as I cover my face, what I mean is, is he hiding? Do you think there's a, a different, like, there's the obvious tactical reason why you would hide in a place that is barren. Is there a theological reason that David is in the wilderness? Yeah, because it mirrors the, the exile of the Israelites. Yeah, and his numbers are growing, and his numbers are growing. Well, Whenever you go yeah. out, you come back with more. Okay, that that makes sense for sure. But mm-hmm. there is like kind of this: he is experiencing the the life of Israel, the life of Israel. Yeah, the way Jesus did. Okay, yeah, there's messianic imagery going on there for mm-hmm. sure. Sometimes uh, with David, that does happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. You guys, I don't even know if you guys are like on my side or making fun of me, but <laughs> if we're going to make a case that there's messianic imagery anywhere, of course, him being driven into the wilderness. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. Now, he You're does right. eventually get to a place that's nice, and that's called En Gedi. You made that up. No. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, En Gedi's actually an oasis. Yes. Um. So it's also, not only is there some strongholds and commercial center, like trading centers there, but it's also a cultic site. What do you mean commercial sites? Like an Amazon warehouse? What are we talking about? <laughs> so it is in the wilderness <laughs> of that Judean area. Yeah. It's an oasis in which people meet for trading on their paths. Mm. So, and because there's like a, there's a stronghold there and it's tactical and it's tactical uh, and it's cultic. It's a, it's a, in the monks, the wilderness, it is a place of safety and community. So he just kind of hangs out there. And I, what he's doing is he's using that as a reference point to like, the idea is like, that's the nice place amongst the wilderness that he's staying close to and around mm. so that he can get supplies and water and everything. When you say it's a cultic site, what do you mean by that? No idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so like none of the explanations other than like, like remember the, 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 the tabernacle tree that we mentioned yeah, before yeah. where they all meet the yeah. same thing. Like, it's a place where people meet that is significantly religious because it's an oasis in a wilderness. I see. Hmm. So it's... Kind of like special tree. Yeah, special tree, special grove. Like, I guess, like, if you were going to make the theology is, like, this is amongst the wilderness of the earth, this is an Eden. Okay. Like, the same with, like, the the groups of trees, that the grove that Adam and... That uh, Abraham and Sarah get buried in. Yeah. And it that cave in amongst a forest is called the cave of the naked duo, which is a reference to Adam and Eve. Anyways, it's a horrible superhero uh, group. (laughs) (laughs) You're getting a lot of the the listeners are getting like a lot of our personality this episode. (laughs) An uncomfortable amount. I'm sure we'll be asked to stop later on. Yeah, it's, (laughs) 
I mean, it's not David and Goliath. Like, I think that's part of the reason. This is just, hey, run around with David and Saul. Yeah. These are filler episodes. That's, yeah. That's all. Of, However, and Getty has another name, which we'll get to when we read chapter 24. Which is, oh, okay. Oh, do you want to say it now? I was just going to say it's in Genesis as well. Craig's of the wild goats. Oh, never mind. That's even <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Chapter 24. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks, or the crags of wild goats. And Who are they? <laughs> Why are there so many crags there? It's a gang. My Craig, my brother Craig, his brother Craig. No, that's Cliff. Okay. <laughs> And he came to the sheepfolds by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the inner parts of the caves, and the men of David said to him, Here's the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do it to me as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose, stealthily cut off the corner of Saul's robe, and afterwards David's heart struck him, because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with his words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. What I love about this is that Saul has been searching for this guy for who knows how long goes into a random cave to go to the bathroom and David and all his men are like up against the wall. Guys, he's here. What what I find interesting is he goes and this, how it's recorded chronologically is not likely how it went down. I understand that, but the text does present it as Saul walks in, David and his men are like, Oh, and then he goes, cuts the thing goes back and then his men are like hey come on We're like what you could get and they have a full blown conversation <laughs> yeah. in a echoey cave yeah. and then Saul leaves <laughs> yeah now some an interesting point was is that it mentions the sheepfolds around the cave and some people go with the idea that because like with uh Doeg the chief of shepherds that a lot of the shepherds are like kind of like a an informant network for the mm, king yeah that he that that's why he goes to that cave is, oh because he thinks it's safe because he thinks it's safe and huh. david's inside of it at least that makes and that's why he goes in alone that makes sense at least yeah hmm. yeah that it's not just the king is just going into any cave with possibly upwards to 600 men inside <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> That it's, yeah. So he's, as far as he's aware, he's in a safe place. It's a safe place, but it's not. But it's not. Yeah. It's funny. There's two instances so far where it's like David is like right there and God's like, hey, go in this direction or don't notice. Like they're on either sides of a hill. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, hey, the Philistines are attacking you. Or Also, we should point out Saul drops his personal... Yes. Um, vendetta mm-hmm. to go do his job. Yeah. 
that's that's good hey good job soul you're finally doing it <laughs> you're doing something i don't know what exactly yeah and it says it's following the philistines so it looks like they just went into the land and he just like created a military presence mm-hmm. to like push them off like they weren't committed to war but if there's no military presence stopping them they'll go for a little yeah. little nightly raiding yeah david's protecting his borders as again as he was commanded by god to do yeah so yeah yeah protect the protect israel from the philistines so that's cool you know um now the 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 significance of Saul's hem is not just that he cut off a little tassel it's the hem of your clothes was a distinguisher of your rank yeah um and so not only is it like hey i cut off your thing it's insulting it's it's insulting because he cut off the king's like signet um it's the same kind of hem that would that is in reference in joseph's colorful coat okay yeah so it's like a commander and it's and it's like a it's also and it's also of the same type that jonathan gave to david david Hmm. yeah the but princely yeah and so it's it's also a marker of proof that like if he were to kill saul i was the one that did it Mm -hmm. um but he decides not to and now he's going to use it as proof to say i'm not going to kill you because we're not enemies i'm not your enemy yeah (laughs) yeah yeah so and then the whole lord's anointed thing david's like he's recognizing that like hey I probably shouldn't kill you because God hasn't said I should. Right. Yeah. And so he's even in the absence of God's direct voice of command, right? Like before we see David, when he doesn't know what to do, he goes to to God and is like, Hey, what should I do? Right. But in this case, he's, uh, he's seeing that I shouldn't just do whatever I want, even though I can. Like the Lord hasn't said anything about this. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, he says I'm going to be king, and he said the souls rejected his king, but that doesn't mean he's still not God's chosen one. Okay, and so I shouldn't do anything about it. Which, which is fair, because right now it, it just proves David's whole. I won't do it unless God tells me to. Yeah. Um, I wonder if he used the ephod to figure out if he should kill Saul. <laughs> I, no, I wonder if that's a question he asked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, because if if that was his this thing well you also see like it looks like he's like he's he cuts off the hem and then it says like like he feels guilty yeah mm. like the passage specifically says uh and afterward david's heart struck him mm-hmm. yeah where he just all of a sudden realized i probably shouldn't be doing this mm. so it's interesting yeah, I don't know. I don't know if also that's a if it's a justifiable thing. Yeah. Right? Like some like you do feel sometimes people just have guilt over things that it's like, no, but you did what had to be done. That was mm-hmm. that yeah. was a good move. There's yeah. nothing wrong with doing that. Um but it just shows in this regard David the purity of David's heart. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a parallel here and Michael's response to Satan? In Jude. The Lord rebuke you? Yeah. The Lord has designated your time. I will not do anything about it. 
even though he is the one that will do it later on. You know you're positioning Satan as God's anointed, eh? No. Like, that's, yeah. <laughs> like, no. I, I get... I mean, there is the comment of he is the anointed angel. Um, yeah, he's an anointed... He is an mm. anointed cherub. Yeah. Anointed guardian. Yeah. So there's... That's... <laughs> there's So there's already an uncomfortable... We'll have to do a And whole... he does have an ephod-style yeah, arrangement does. on his chest in Ezekiel 28. He does. We'll have to do a whole episode on Satan at some point. <laughs> Joel has a like very this. uncomfortable look. Yeah. yeah. It was a weirdly big thing in catechism. What Satan or like yeah Satan as a anointed cherub and all this stuff it came up in catechism and mm-hmm. it took like twenty minutes of it and yeah. and Michael who is he will kill him mm-hmm. sorry imprison him defeat him yeah in Revelation um, so much good art of it oh yeah there's a I saw I'm whatever I saw a great like an icon mm-hmm. of it was like a big statue the size of a TV of Michael, giant angel descending on a dragon. Yeah. It's like this. <laughs> so cool. I mean, it's cool. Don't buy an icon, though. Why not? <laughs> we can't have this conversation again. We had the idols thing. If you want to listen to that conversation, go to the our Dis- is Disney Modern Day Idols or whatever we called that episode, which is a crazy thought. Anyways. Yeah. Um, wow, we want to derail. I'm so sorry. Well, I think that's just kind of the headspace for tonight. I, I kind yeah. of enjoy it, so let's keep doing it. Let's keep going. Okay. Afterwards, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, my lord the king. And when Saul looked before him, behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your... Your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. And I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you, May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. There's a lot there. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I do find it interesting, his his invocation of Lord is judge. Yeah. He does the whole thing. It was like, I'm not against you. God's going to be judge. And, and if you're Lord wicked, will avenge me. and he will be against you, but I won't. I know yeah. you're against me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then he also, what's interesting is he appeals to him as father. Mm-hmm. Because he's married to his his daughter. It's, it's his, it's his, uh, yeah. his stepson. No, not stepson. Son-in-law. Son-in-law. Yeah. Stepdad. <laughs> but but no. the fact that he appeals to him as father and as king. Yeah. Yeah. He's like... All the cards are on the table. Yeah. Like, hey, like, don't listen to these liars that are yes men telling you that I'm treasonous. Like, yeah. And again, it's David's returning to this is between you and God. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, almost as if David is a passive observer in the downfall yeah. of Saul. Which I think you could say he is. 
He's a he's a victim of Saul's downward spiral and mm-hmm. demise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I think what it I think a little bit of it is not just that David is going to be king and God has said so, but because David is constantly around him, he's reminded of the king he should have been and the reason that he's no longer king. Right. He's confronted constantly with his failure when he sees David because he knows that he's promised to be king by God yeah. and that the, he had so many chances to not yeah. do it. And it's just clarifying and, David's not a usurper, usurper right? Yeah. Well, Which no, is, and yeah. again, I'm going to bring up the Cain and Abel comparison. Mm-hmm. When God said to Cain, not sufficient, do it again. If you do will, if you do well, don't you know, it'll go well. Um, and his response is, I'll kill the guy that did it well. Mm-hmm. And similar to Saul, right? That guy's doing it right and he's going to be king. I'm going to kill him. Yeah. What was, uh, when we were doing our research, we came across, what was it? The um, Herodian genocide or whatever it's called? Oh, yeah. I I think he hasn't made the plea yet. Hasn't made the plea? Which plea? Yeah, so... so that comes when Saul asks him to not kill his descendants. Yeah. But I, yeah. it does It does have, I, I don't know if this is where you're going with it, Joel, but the uh, oftentimes self-deprecating mm-hmm. like yes, s- speech is associated with humbleness. Yeah. Which I think you see in every culture, but that's... It's notable it with kings, yeah. and, like ancient Near yeah. Eastern kings. And he's just so... David's just like, I'm a dog. I'm a flea. We, ah, what do you want with me? Why are you hunting after me? I'm nothing. Yeah. Do you think that's, yeah. So my, my thing was that, uh, there is a, a parallel between Saul, um, not wanting a perfect king to come. Yeah. And Herod to not wanting a person to come. That's what I'm talking about. Right. Where there's this kind of if we're talking about messianic imagery again, which is Mm -hmm. something you're probably gonna have to get familiar with when we start David's actual reign. One hundred percent good catch. Um, is that there's these these uh, interesting parallels with the life of David and the life of Christ. Yeah. Um that I think are intentional to tie them together so that Christ is recognized as continuing the Davidic line and Mm -hmm. um David is seen as as a good king. Yeah. Well, and he's appealing to his paranoia, right? He's yeah, like, I'm not yeah. going to kill you. Like, I'm. Mm-hmm. there's no treason. Yeah. Like, it's also like the ultimate test, this. Yeah. Like, this was perfect. Mm-hmm. If I wanted to, yeah. this is it. Yeah. And we know you can't take me. Mm-hmm. We're in a cave alone. Or with I, 600 men. Oh, on yeah, no. Side. <laughs> like, like, but even that, where he's just like, we're alone. I killed Goliath. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like, yeah, without armor, and now I'm a trained soldier with Goliath's sword. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, let's finish this. I said it again. Wow, let's finish. Finish, let's finish this. <laughs> as soon as David had finished speaking these words, of course, to Saul, Saul, <laughs> Saul said, "Is this your voice, my son, David? <laughs> Is that you?" <laughs> Hey, is that you, David? No. And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me goodness, whereas I have repaid you evil. 
And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemies, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. That's that's the uh, the Herodian the Herodian slang that you brought up with your reference to Herod is yeah. was a common practice between kings when it when there was a takeover from one king to another, yeah. not like a natural succession or even in a natural succession. That yes. also did happen in in the worst of times, which for a lot of history was all yes. the time. Yes. Um, they would, they would uh, kill the descendants of the previous king so that they wouldn't have um, a usurper. Yeah, and lions do this. Um, alpha, yeah. the alpha lion in a herd. Mm-hmm. herd so, pride. so you're saying the lion of Judah didn't do it? Yeah, because he's better. I'm sorry, I'm sorry just no it's lion imagery. I, I don't even know how he would. Does <laughs> <laughs> really? Well, no, because David already promised. He's made a covenant with Jonathan and his Jonathan's descendants. Yeah. That he, that he would have them sit at the table. Um, but yeah, lions do this when a new, when the new, uh, male of the pride takes over, he kills all the sons of the previous alpha. Fair enough. Yeah. I I think, Sorry. It's just wild that Saul's moment of clarity here. Mm-hmm. Like he's just humbled to the knees. He only has moments of clarity. Yeah. Though. He's caught but, with his pants down. But the verse 20, and now behold, I know that you shall surely be king. Just explicitly saying, yeah, I know. And that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Mm-hmm. It's just wild. Yeah, and so and the, the question the question would be, why do they separate? Why why does that not just? Why isn't that the handoff? Yeah, like yeah. why not have the coronation then? Mm-hmm. I think it's because Is if it be- I had to guess, it's because God took the kingship away from him, but he's not done being king. Yeah, but why does David stay in the stronghold in southern Israel? Well. Yeah. yeah, to me, I, all I can go back, all I can think of is, I don't know if the tribes are there. Yeah, right. It's, the kingdom's not ready. The nor- many of the northern tribes are not. Saul wanting. might not actually be ready. Like David might know that it's like he's just doing his thing again, where he promises that he won't do anything bad. Um, because like up to this point, Saul just keeps saying that, mm-hmm. right? Like I'll do better. I'll do better, and then doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um. It could also be that the relationship is so soured. Like, I mean, David going back into the stronghold kind of makes it more think that it's like, oh, he doesn't really believe him at all. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's just like Jonathan, like, like everybody just knows that like this can't be fixed. Mm. That like this relationship, like how many, like how much counseling is Saul going to (laughs) need? 
Yeah. How many spears do you throw at somebody before they don't trust you anymore? <laughs> yeah. Right. Like it's well, and I just mean like like we've we've all seen this in people where like a relationship is so destroyed that it takes years of willingness and grace and preparation to like sew that back together. And there's always that pain that's like in between like a scar, mm. like on flesh, mm. right? That leaves a mark. And I think that's kind of what's happening where it's just like their relationship is so torn. History is tearing them apart. Yeah. Like literal history is tearing them apart. And they, but how do you cut off someone's robe in the dark in a cave when they're taking a whiz? And your eyes are adjusted to it. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. But like, you think if you would rip want- your, you know, basically like holy garments, you would, you would, notice yeah you'd probably hear it i don't know my, yeah my thing is like how David's sharp ninja, is his knife dude. i don't think he is i don't think the <laughs> you know because he's jewish i don't think the war um in in ancient near east uh really reflects that of feudal japan there josh um you're right but he could still be stealthy he could be yeah. But I'm I like what kind of cutting implement would you have? This is at the isn't turn of the Bronze Chinese. Age. Isn't he's, ninja dude, Chinese. he's pulling out Dave Goliath's sword. He has Japanese. A, what? It's Japanese, yeah. Is it? Yeah. Ninjas okay. are Japanese. That's what you that's where we're going. Me. Man, what a tangential <laughs> I'm sorry, I am so distracted today. Is there is there a Chinese equivalent to ninjas? <sighs> that's probably something yes. I shouldn't ask. But what it Yes, there is. What is it? I Jet. forget. <clears throat> I'm so bad. Anyways, sorry. This is the turn of the Bronze Age. How does he have something sharp enough to like cleanly um, cut off his garment? You can get sharp stuff. I guess so. Maybe this is just another. Goliath's sword is probably made of iron because it's Philistine. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it's also huge and not very good to <laughs> yeah. use in a cave. That would be no, crazy. But, no, but he, oh my gosh. That's a whole nother thing we didn't think about Dick Goliath's fighting. Is because he has a giant sword made of iron. When that clashes with a bronze sword, the damage to that bronze sword yeah. would be like it's useless. You'd get one block in and you've got an actual cut in your blade. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you could hack apart other people's swords. Yeah. Yeah. Which would look like probably magic to them. They'd be like, what? Well, I mean, it's, it's like the conquistadors going on in the Aztecs yeah. yeah, with their obsidian like club. Oh yeah. That were just shattering on the conquistadors metal plate armor. Yeah. 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 That's crazy. Well, and that they like, there's crazy there. There's, there's recordings of the Aztecs fighting, like from their perspective. And they remember just like they, they figured out the cannon but only that when the loud noise and the smoke and the flash of light happened, people died. That's how they talked about it. Hmm. It's like a magical boom. Yeah. When you saw the flash and the light and the smoke and the sound, four people next to you dropped to the ground. <laughs> That's Somehow that rhymed. Yeah. It's kind of poetic, Josh. Yeah. Want to tell us more about Aztec? No, no, we don't. Um, it's very sad. It's it a very sad, sad story. Yeah. But actually, more people speak Nahuatl, the language of the Aztecs, now than ever in Aztec history. Wow. You're saying the Aztec Empire is on the rise again? Yeah, it has been. Hmm. Yeah, they recorded the language and 
the there's a million people that can read and write in the way it's all. Do you know cool. Latin's on the rise in northern Italy? Beautiful. Yeah, it's technically becoming not a dead language, which I don't think has ever happened before. Uh, Hebrew. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. But modern Hebrew is very different. Yeah. What is this? Cool. I'm sorry. I don't know. I feel like we... Okay, well, let's, now that we're talking about Hebrew, we Did we finish the, the chapter? Yeah. This is a short episode, too. It's a bit of a shorter episode. Well, um, let's bring some stuff up. I had some more research. Okay. So... The oath not to decimate was obviously for that political reason that we mentioned, mm-hmm. right? The the Herodian, Herodian slaying. But also, when you killed the descendants of someone, you there was a cultural phenomenon that people believed in at the time. That when you destroyed the bones or the descendants of someone, you destroyed their ability to be in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. And so Saul is also saying, hey, please, like... I've messed up, but at least let that be good. Yeah. Which is, which is, hmm. Which means he's also, if that's the case, he's also falling to, um, religious practices of the, yeah, that's the thing though, like early Hebrew afterlife theology and imagination Mm -hmm. is not super clear and it develops. Yes. And so what they mean is, is that you're no longer conscious in Sheol. Probably. Yes. We, I, I don't think that there's enough information yeah. to say one way or another. And especially if syncretism is going on, who knows? Yes. But true. We know those things are linked, but we just don't know how it would have been articulated yeah. to, ex- to exegete that, to understand what is in the mind of Saul. Because this is a similar thing to when Josiah later on, the third last king of... Uh, Judah uh, destroys the bones of the of the prophets of Baal <laughs> um, because when you destroy the bones of someone, you stop their ability from being in the well, afterlife. That's it comes up in Psalms sometimes, where it's like, yeah, uh, and in Proverbs, where it's like you've written the word or the wisdom on your your bones, essentially, or whatever it yeah. is. Um, or that it'll strengthen your bones and things like this mm-hmm. because your your soul, your resolve, your mm-hmm. basically your essence is in your, your bones. Yeah. Which is super weird to think about. But it, it is essence just one of those, is stored in the bones. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. It's just one of those like the imagery this kind of needs to be deciphered through their culture. Yeah. Which is or like that phrase, old, old phrase, um, that's never used anymore. But like like a connotation of fear is like my bones are rattling. Mm. And it's it's to that same idea of like your resolve is in your bones. Fair enough. Yeah. My conscience observance of Sheol is in my bones. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah. So David and Saul. Do you think they're do you think it's gonna work out for them? <laughs> well, I mean the, what do you think? Happened? I've been so optimistic, and this sounds really good. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. we'll have to wait till next uh episode to see how the trans smooth transition from one king to another goes. Yeah. Well, next week it looks like we're doing chapter twenty five because that is a huge chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then twenty six, Saul gets into more trouble with David. So yeah, it's not. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Yep. Uh, Saul's Saul doesn't end well. Yeah. It's unfortunate. No, I mean like like David. We eventually get into David's problems, but I think 
Hmm. If okay, this is I'm addressing the the Actually, listeners now. Oh, sorry. What were you gonna say? I was gonna say it's compared to the beginning of the book. God is interestingly less apparent. Hmm. He's got the ephod. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Is like there's the ephod, but like we did the whole thing with the the running from Saul, the the thing with Jonathan, the the dinners, the like everything, and it's it's become like it started off big with like the battles with the Philistines and the losing of the ark and all that stuff. And the, and then it's, it's been becoming localized to a few people rather than Israel. Yeah. Well, it feels like a natural transition leading out of judges. Yes. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, just because the, the system of Israel's leadership is changing so drastically that it kind of needs to be this, um, it's becoming personalized. God to yeah. a man. God to the king, rather than God to the people, mm. through the prophet. Interesting. It does feel like the culmination of all of the judges throughout judges would be the bestowing of of a a king or a priest king, but it's not a priest king because we can't have those. Not yet. But David <laughs> seems to think about it, and we'll get there at some point when we do... Probably yeah. a biblical theology of uh, priest kings of priests, because it's a big deal in Psalms. Yeah, yeah, yeah it gets. And then Hebrews huge. freaks out about it. Yeah. Um, Joel, you were going to say something before I cut you off about the audience. Yeah. So um, we've been working through First Samuel, and uh, we're getting close to the end of it. Um, we've gotten some response on how the Samuel series has gone, mm-hmm. but I would love more. <laughs> and yeah. more than that, I would love to know if we should just do Second Samuel, or if you think we should do a different book of the Bible. Um, I'm, I think I might be ready to try another book once we're done. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I, I'd love to come back to Second Samuel. And can, oh, I think eventually it, we'll have to. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, we'll see if uh, see if our audience has some ideas. Yeah, should we leave it up to them? Should they vote for it in a poll? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But what if there's no turnout? There's one guy who decides the... Then one man will decide the fate of all of the second-rate saints. This is why I say maybe. <laughs> okay. It's going to be a... You know who you are. <laughs> yeah. Isaiah or Charles. Yes. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it'll be fun either way. Um, but Joel... Yeah? Do we... Uh, <laughs> okay, I'll do the closeout. Okay, I won't fight with you this time. <laughs> I mean, do we want to derail? Because we've been derailing this. We've been derailing the whole time a little bit. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. I think this episode has been a little bit more casual. There's not. There was some substance to the chapter, but it it wasn't as action packed. I didn't find as some of the others. Yeah, um, it really was this. Like, this is the part. If this is Lord of the Rings, this is the part where Frodo and Sam are just walking. Yeah. <laughs> they go to this place and then they go to this place and then they go to this place. And cool yeah. stuff happens, but nothing. But we didn't write it down. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So thank you for listening to the Second Rate Saints podcast. Uh, check us out at secondratesaints.com. If you've got any questions, comments, or concerns, email us at secondratesaints at gmail.com. Uh, follow us on our Instagram and our Twitter. Um, I hope that you've enjoyed the uh, conversation thus far. Um, yeah. Have a great week and we'll see you next week.
will be done soon, and then I'm going to go get toilet paper. 